Welcome to Womble Perspectives, where we explore a wide range of topics from the latest legal updates to industry trends to the business of law. Our team of lawyers, professionals, and occasional outside guests will take you through the most pressing issues facing businesses today and provide practical and actionable advice to help you navigate the ever-changing legal landscape. With a focus on innovation, collaboration, and client service, we are committed to delivering exceptional value to our clients and to the communities we serve. And now our latest episode. Welcome to the final episode in our 2024 February Saturday series. As a firm, we believe our team members' unique perspectives allow us to deliver more integrated solutions, fresh perspectives, and quality advice. Each Saturday throughout the month, we're broadcasting interviews with some of our attorneys, featuring stories about their careers and told in their own words, illustrating just how our firm offers a point of view like no other. Today, we're speaking with Jamie Chu out of our San Francisco office. Hi, Jamie, and thanks so much for joining us on our podcast. Well, the question we always start with is sort of a broad question about your path. When did you decide you wanted to go to law school and become a lawyer? Well, so people always laugh when I tell them this, but I actually decided in sixth grade that I was going to <laughs> be a lawyer and go to law school. And I never deviated from that afterwards. Like, I remember even in college, you know, freshman orientation, they say a lot of people change their majors or decide, you know, on different career paths. And, you know, the average college student changes their major something like two or three times or and, you know, that never happened. <laughs> I decided in sixth grade, uh, my elementary school had a mock trial program that they did. And my sixth grade teacher um, tapped me to see if I wanted to be on the mock trial team. And I really, you know, at that point in my life, had no idea what it meant to be a lawyer or what a mock trial entailed. Uh, There's no lawyers in my family, so no one for me to talk to. And, uh, you know, so I was assigned you know, one of the attorney roles and as part of the mock trial program, you know, you're given a, a, a fact pattern and you actually try this case and, uh, you know, you have witnesses, you've got the other students who act as jury members. And after that process, I had like a really great time doing it. I was like, oh, you know, this is actually kind of fun. I think I would enjoy doing this for a living. And, you know, kind of plays into a little bit the whole you know, Asian stereotype you may have heard about, which is, you know, for Asian parents, and especially uh, my parents at the time, you know, the only acceptable careers were doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to be a doctor. Uh, I knew that. I didn't like blood and, you know, hospitals and you know, sick people. And, you know, I liked math and sciences, but I wasn't really crazy about it. I couldn't really see myself being an engineer. And, you know, when I stumbled upon mock trial and being a lawyer. It's like, oh, this is actually really fun. I think I could do this. And mm -hmm. I continued with mock trial in uh, middle school and high school. So okay. I did it and then was captain of the mock trial team and, you know, would go and uh, train, uh, be a trainer at the elementary and middle schools uh, once I was in high school and, you know, really enjoyed that and really thought that actually I was going to be a trial lawyer, you know, with the mock trial experience and be a litigator, which is actually how I started my career was actually in litigation. But I've, you know, since transitioned to being a transactional attorney. That's great. And so interesting that you knew since sixth grade before your firm, Cooper White and Cooper combined with us, you were part of the team that brought these two firms together. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? What were you looking for before the combination and what made you and your colleagues at CWC decide that Womble was a good fit? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think other people and uh, have heard this from me, but 
When we were first, you know, approached with a possible possibility of combining with Womble, I think uh, most of us who were at CWC were pretty reticent to even really take a meeting or consider it because, you know, we were just thinking that an AMLAW 100 firm was not going to be compatible in terms of, you know, the business and also the culture of, you know, what we had as CWC being a smaller, you know, much more regional firm that, you know, kind of all the things you hear about AMLAW 100 firms that kind of negatively predisposed us against thinking (laughs) of joining AMLAW 100. You know, we were not, uh, I think a number of us were very leery about that prospect. And we were really thinking and had contemplated um, or contemplating offers from other firms that we thought would be a better match uh, in terms of, you know, who we were as a firm. And, you know, obviously we were very pleasantly surprised after meeting with uh, Womble and, you know, started with Betty and Hales, I believe, and kind of grew to larger and larger groups. And, you know, it really, we were surprised at, given the size of Womble, how much it really mimicked uh, and echoed the values and the culture that we had at CWC. And that, you know, despite its size, it still, you know, felt very much like a much smaller family in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, people really seemed to know each other, work together, the collegiality uh, that was there and just the flexibility um, as well that, uh, you know, we were being given to kind of uh, continue to operate much like we had, but while joining a larger firm with a greater geographic reach and obviously, you know, more practice areas and legal expertise that we would be able to offer our clients. I mean, I think you know, really convinced us that joining Wobble would be a great accretive proposition for us and that it was going to, you know, present for us, you know, so many pros for our clientele that you know, a number of whom, you know, we serve kind of mid-sized companies where we serve as their outside general counsel but had not been doing, you know, the work that they had, for instance, in the Carolinas, where, you know, they mm-hmm. also had operations, where now we would be able to service that and just, you know, additional practice areas and even on, you know, international assistance with our, with the UK offices that are available also. It really just seemed like it was going to be a great fit. And I mean, you know, 15 months in, I would say that I think all of us have, would say that the transition has gone has been great and that it's been actually gone better than we would have expected. That's great. That's so good to hear. You mentioned the collegiality you had at CWC and that you had similar experiences at Womble. Why is that so important for a law firm's culture? And is that part of the reason you spent your entire career at CWC before the combination? It is. I mean, definitely that. And just, you know, having access to great mentors, great lawyers that I was really able to learn from and that really trained and grew me, you know, from being a baby lawyer who really knew nothing as a first year associate uh, coming in, you know, to where I am now. It's just, uh, you know, having, you know, not just being kind of, um, you know, a name and a statistic, you know, in a huge firm where there's, you know, a thousand other associates and who are you, you know, within that universe and you know, the politicking that has to go there. You know, I would say there's, you know, wasn't that 
kind of impersonality, you know, to being in a smaller firm and just, you know, being able to really get to know the other lawyers, working very collaboratively with them. And I think being in a smaller firm, I was able to be given just a lot more responsibility and latitude at an earlier part of my career than I might have been given at a larger firm. And, you know, I really enjoy that, you know, just the training that I was given and, you know, I could have my hand held when I needed to. I could walk down the hall and, you know, step into a partner's office and, you know, be honest with them that I needed help on something and they would be there to help guide me and say, okay, for this, this is how you want to structure it or here are the issues that you need to pay attention to. But, you know, where I felt like where I wanted additional responsibility and uh, independence, you know, there was huge uh, opportunities for me to kind of spread my wings as much as I wanted to. So that was really great. And I really enjoyed the people that I work with. I mean, some of my best friends are today are the people that I work with at CWC. And even, you know, though some of them have left because mm-hmm. they've gone, you know, they've moved out of state or they decided to go in house or in a government or what have you, you know, they're still uh, some of my closest friends. And, you know, it was funny because within the CWC group of lawyers, I mean, I'm one of the, you know, um, shorter tenured attorneys. <laughs> That's yeah. been, I mean, some of the other lawyers have been there, you know, 30, 40, 50 um, plus years. It's funny because Jeff Wu and Quinton, you know, Jeff has been with the firm, I think, for 12 or 13. And he's kind of one of the babies, <laughs> <At> only, <laughs> you know, having only been at the firm for 12 or 13 years. I mean, he's not a baby, but in terms of uh, firm, uh, you know, tenure. Yeah, it just it's kind of funny. And, you know, Womble seems to have a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of people, staff, attorneys who have been, you know, with the firm for forever. And our staff at CWC, I mean, pretty much usually the only time we were hiring new staff was when existing ones were retiring. <laughs> um, so, you know, we have many staff members who've been with us, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. One thing it seems people always mention about you is that whatever you're doing, both as a lawyer and in general, you have a real knack for bringing people together and getting people to work toward a common goal. Is that something you learned growing up? Can you tell us a little bit about where that skill comes from? You know, I don't know that it really was a part of my childhood. I mean, my, you know, I didn't really have business or legal exposure for the most part growing up. Um, I think a little bit of that probably comes into play with respect to one of the questions you had about um, my pageant background was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in that context, having to work with different people who had, you know, maybe different ideas and having to not necessarily mediate um, disputes, but, you know, just kind of working with different people from all walks of life um, and, you know, having to meet, uh, you know, even strangers or on a regular basis and, you know, working with them, whether it was on an event or, um, you know, deciding how to orchestrate or execute something and, you know, working with a team environment in that context. And then, you know, certainly as a lawyer, I think a lot of my training at CWC um, you know, and even in litigation, you know, when you're litigating, people really do. Litigation is much, very much a zero sum game in many respects. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, to be an effective litigator, to really, you know, most cases do end up settling. They don't go to trial is you really have to be able to sit down and look at, you know, both sides of the picture. Right. And figure out right. what are the other side's arguments? Do they have merit? And 
either convincing the other side that, you know, your arguments have merit or, you know, being able to sit down with your client and saying, look, I understand here, you know, here are our arguments and here's, you know, where you're coming from. But being able to explain to them why the other side's arguments potentially have merit, even if your client doesn't want to hear that. Right. Is, you know, being as a good lawyer, you really do have to be able to look at the whole picture and kind of identify what are your weaknesses and strengths and how are you going to bolster the weaknesses or emphasize the strengths, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or diminish the weaknesses, or you know, how do you uh, plan around the weaknesses? And I think you know, doing that in litigation, whether you're going to mediation, settlement, or what have you, or even you know, convincing a judge, you know, it's, a lot of it is about you know, bringing people around to your viewpoint, or you know, being open-minded enough to basically you know, embrace something of what the other side is saying, so that you can meet a common ground. The most effective attorneys are people who can really look at the entire picture, look at things from all perspectives and really try and find the commonality. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, I see what all our differences are, but what are the things that we have in common and how are we, you know, how do you bring it to that commonality to make the two sides come together rather than staying firmly entrenched in their positions and being and refusing to budge? Yeah, that's a skill that applies to any area of the law. Applies to life too, right? I yeah. mean, even in a family. <laughs> like yeah. Families don't always agree. And then you kind of have to, you know, figure out how you're going to work through an issue and, you know, make sure that people don't kill each other, even if you're <laughs> you know, not happy with what somebody else is saying. And, you know, I probably have to do that with my daughter on a more routine basis than anyone else. <laughs> I have a 14 year old and I think she thinks she knows everything in the world. <laughs> and I'm always reminded of this um, Mark Twain quote that I love, which is when I was 19, I thought my father was the dumbest man in the world. And by the time I reached age 21, I was amazed at how much he had learned in two short years. Expanding a bit beyond your practice, you mentioned your family. I'm sure they're very proud of your accomplishments. Can you tell us a little about that? I, they definitely were. So, I mean, my back, I'm actually the first person in my family to attend college um, okay. uh, or grad school. But my mom, um, so my, I immigrated from the United States or from China into the U.S. when I was six and, you know, came to the country not speaking a word of English and having no idea what the United States would be. And, you know, it's definitely very much a culture shock uh, coming here from China. And, um, you know, my mom had dropped out of school when she was 14 and started working full time in order to support her mother and her younger sister. Um, This was basically during, uh, you know, after the communist takeover of China, Mm -hmm. her family was dispossessed of, you know, their um, their home and all their belongings were basically kicked out. And uh, so she had to find a way to herself as well as her mom and younger sister and so she only had a middle school education and then my father um was you know came from a farming family in china and i think basically had a a high school equivalent of a high school education and never went on to college so but they very both of them very much believed in this whole confucian ideal of you know education and you know being education and meritocracy being the way to achieve success and so you know when I immigrated to the U.S. with my mom as a child. It was very much, you know, drilled and ingrained into me that I needed to do well in school, go to college and, you know, go to grad school. College was not enough. It had to be uh, grad school (laughs) on top of that. And, you know, we were really poor. And so my mom, 
you know, basically told me the only way you're going to go to college is if you do well, um, you know, in high school and get a scholarship into college. So that was kind of what was, you know, the the path that was set in front of me. And, you know, part of being choosing a, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer also <laughs> was that, you know, you can't be a starving artist and, you know, you're not going to go to clown school. Those <laughs> options are not on the table. <laughs> like, and it just, it was, I mean, certainly when I, you know, was admitted to college, they were very happy. And then graduating college and getting to law school and graduating law school, it was kind of, you know, fulfilling all the various, you know, goalposts that um, had been set. It certainly sounds like they're proud of you and sounds like you're very proud of them, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, talking to my mom was a little bit like, um, you know, of a living history book because she, you know, went through World War Two and then, wow. you know, the communist takeover and then cultural revolution. So, you know, going from that, moving to the U.S. was very much about, you know, the Amer- pursuing the American dream and being able to, you know, have a better life for her kids and what she grew up with or what she foresaw as our future in China. So it was, you know, huge for her to be able to come here and, you know, for her, like coming here as somebody who didn't speak any English at all as a middle-aged woman, you know, without an education, without English skills. I mean, she was working, you know, minimum wage labor jobs, right? She was just washing dishes in Chinese restaurants, you know, cleaning people's houses, um, you know, babysitting nanny type uh, jobs. And so, you know, that's certainly not what she wanted for my sister or for me. And so though, you know, just kept telling us like, you just, you have to go to school, you have to do well, you need to go to college, go to grad school. And that's how you're going to, you know, ensure that you're successful and you're not living, you know, you're not having to continue to do the types of jobs that I'm doing now. That's a really powerful story and a great history. It's so interesting to hear how your childhood shaped your path to the present day. Shifting away from your professional path, can you tell us a bit about what you like to do outside of work when you're not representing clients? So don't have a whole lot of free time these days (laughs) between work and a teenager. But, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, traveling is definitely very high on that list. And, um, you know, my daughter's also a huge musical theater junkie. And so we do a lot of uh, trips or get a lot of theater tickets, local shows or, you know, um, Broadway touring uh, companies that are coming through San Francisco. I mean, the great fortune we have of living in a place like San Francisco is there's so many cultural offerings here. And so, you know, between theater, ballet, symphony, you know, we do a lot of that. Um, she's a dancer. And so, you know, she loves going to dance performances and we do. And I love the performing arts too. Actually, if I hadn't become a lawyer, I probably would have gone into, uh, into the performing arts, either something, you know, theater or music or something like that. And so she's very much uh, inherited a lot of those interests for me. And so we do a lot of those types of things together. And then, um, you know, I also, when I can, um, try to do volunteer work with some of the local organizations um, in Chinatown here in San Francisco, as well as, you know, um, legal organizations as well, especially, you know, given my background and where I came from, it's easy to relate to and understand the struggles, you know, within the Chinese immigrant community here and, and, you know, how that community is very much exploited um, Mm -hmm. because of the fact that they don't understand the language and also don't understand their rights. And so, you know, um, my daughter has had the privilege of growing up in a very different childhood than the one that I had, but we try to expose her to the fact that, you know, the life that you have, while it's great, is not the life that everybody has. And, you know, so she has kind of a better understanding 
of, you know, what my childhood was like and what, you know, life is like for billions of people around the world. And, you know, San Francisco, as you've probably seen, the national press has a lot of kind of this, you know, a big disparity between the haves and the have nots. And, you know, we do have a large immigrant community in San Francisco and, you know, kind of the whether it's the DACA fights and, you know, um, immigration issues, housing, you know, uh, fair wages or, you know, wage theft and all those types of things. I, a lot of those things are things that I've experienced in my lifetime. So it gives me kind of a personal connection to a lot of those issues. Well, one thing we were able to dig up from the Internet archives is your pageant history. It sounds like you were very successful in that. Can you tell us a bit about it and how it influences you as an attorney today? Yeah, I am mm-hmm. impressed that you were able to dig up uh, my pageant history. <laughs> that doesn't usually show <laughs> well, up on page one or two anymore. That was actually a very fun um, you know, thing to do. And I did actually learn a lot and meet a lot of people. And it was actually a great life experience. But it was funny. My first week of work at CWC, one of the partners Googled me for whatever reason. And he saw this picture pop up. And he's like, hey, is that you? It was funny. I haven't seen that actually come up in quite some time. I used to get asked, well, one of the other associates um, at CWC, when she learned through the other partner that uh, this was part of my background, she used to always introduce me by, <laughs> she's like, oh, and she was, you know, X. And I was like, oh, my God, you need to stop introducing me <laughs> like this way to whom everyone that we meet. <laughs> it's actually one of the I mean, the best things I got out of that is actually it really helps you a lot with public speaking and just kind of self-confidence uh, walking into a room, you know, with strangers and being able to engage with them and being trying to find a way to talk and connect with people that you've never met. Because I'm constantly going to events where I'm meeting, you know, hundreds of people that I, and having to engage with them that I've never talked to. And whether they're politicians or, you know, just or volunteers or, you know, business owners, whomever it is, you know, you're having to really um find things, you know, ways to engage and establish rapport with people, you know, pretty instantaneously and, you know, just or answering questions, you know, thinking on the spot and having to come up with answers on the spot, which is great, especially when you're being grilled by a judge, you know, during an oral argument. It certainly sounds like those pageant skills that you were recognized for have translated very well to your career now. In addition to confidence, can you speak a bit more about how those skills that you learned have helped you in your career and your personal life? Well, I think definitely like, poise and kind of staying calm under pressure, right? Like, I mean, the, the lights are on you on stage. If you make a mistake, you have to keep going. Or, you know, during the interview portions of these competitions, you're given a question that you've never heard before. You have to, you have, you know, five seconds to formulate an answer and spit out something that's articulate and, um, you know, responsive. And so, you know, these types of things that you have to do, we often have to also do as lawyers, right? I mean, whether it's clients that you're engaging with and socializing or interacting where you're in a client pitch and they're asking you questions. And, you know, even if you've stumbled upon, you made a mistake, you know, you can't get hung up on that. You have, or, you know, an oral argument, if you're a trial or you're a court hearing or whatever it is, you have to be able to like, you know, just think very quickly, respond. And, you know, if you stumble a little bit, figure out, you know, very quickly how you're going to correct that and or, you know, how you cover it up and just keep going and hope that and, you know, and not let that really completely derail you as you're uh, as you're up there, because you have to keep kind of, you know, the end goal in mind. Right. Those are such great life lessons. We do have one more final question. What does your daughter think of your success? She's a dancer. And so she's being trained in those skills that involve confidence, poise, perseverance and others like that. Was she impressed by your accomplishments? I, I think 
she she is. I mean, she's 14 years old, so she doesn't, you know, usually say things like, oh, you're amazing, mommy. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I mean, my daughter and I are very close. And it's funny, when she was younger, she used to want say that she wanted to be an attorney because I was. And, you know, as she got older, I think in middle school, actually, it's funny enough, in sixth grade, she decided she wanted to be a doctor instead. And when I keep telling her, you know, you could change your mind, she always says to me, you know, mommy, you decided in sixth grade that you're going to be a lawyer and you never change your mind. So why do you keep telling me that I'm going to change mine? It's like, okay, that's true. <laughs> it's very true. But I was, I tell her, I was like, you know, Samantha, a lot of the constraints that were on me when I was in sixth grade in terms of what my career options were and what I, you know, had to do to survive are not on you. And so you have a much larger world of possibilities to choose from. And, you know, you're not going to be starving if you decide that you want to pursue something like performing arts. Like if you wanted to be a dancer, that is a possibility. I mean, there's struggles associated with that, certainly. <laughs> but, you know, that wasn't even really open as a possibility for me. But, um, you know, I mean, my husband likes to say that my daughter's kind of the mini me of me that she like even though she's 14 she actually still likes to dress like when we go out she wants to match me and so she'll say mommy what are you wearing because she wants to wear something you know the same color same style because she wants us to basically be twins and so even though she is you know there are definitely moments of her being that very obstinate um you know just teenager who you know, thinks that she knows better. And, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. We have our issues and arguments. Like she very much, I think, in a lot of ways, wants to emulate the things that I do. That's priceless. A wonderful story and great additional insight. Thank you. I think Thank this you. is a great new kind of campaign that the firm is launching and kind of trying to distinguish ourselves a little bit from the, you know, millions of other law firms that are out there, right? Thanks so much for that comment, and that's certainly what we're trying to achieve here. And thank you again, Jamie, for joining us. Yeah, of course. That's a wrap on today's episode and on our February-Saturday series. We hope you've enjoyed getting to know some of our attorneys over the past few weeks and hear how their personal histories help them provide our clients with a unique point of view like no other. Thank you for listening to Womble Perspectives. If you want to learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, please visit the show notes where you can find links to related resources mentioned today. The show notes also have more information about our attorneys who provided today's insights, including ways to reach out to them. Don't forget to subscribe via your podcast player of choice so that you never miss an episode. Thank you again for listening.